Let us now turn for our scripture reading, which is found in the book of 1 Samuel and the 18th chapter. The book of 1 Samuel and chapter 18. This is the word of Almighty God. Come, let us hear his word together. The Lord help us, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive his word this day. And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And it came to pass as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the woman came out of all cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul, with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. And the woman answered one another as they played, and said, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him, And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand, as at other times. And there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from him and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways. The Lord was with him. Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, because he went out and came in before them. And Saul said to David, Behold, my elder daughter Merab, her will I give thee to wife. Only be thou valiant for me, and fight for the Lord's battles. For Saul said, Let not mine hand be upon him, but let the hand of the Philistines be upon him. And David said unto Saul, Who am I, and what is my life, or my father's family in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? But it came to pass, at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given unto Adriel, the Mahalite, to wife. And Michal, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. And Saul said, I will give him her. 
that she may be a snare to him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Wherefore Saul said to David, Thou shalt this day be my son-in-law in the one of the twain. And Saul commanded his servants, saying, Commune with David secretly, and say, Behold, the king hath delight in thee, and all his servants love thee. Now therefore be the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spake those words in the ears of David. And David said, Seemeth it to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing that I am a poor man and lightly esteemed? And the servants of Saul told him, saying, On this manner spake David. And Saul said, Thus shall ye say to David, The king desireth not any dowry, but an hundred foreskins of the Philistines, to be avenged of the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law, and the days were not expired. Wherefore David arose and went, he and his men, and slew of the Philistines two hundred men. And David brought their foreskins, and they gave them in full tale to the king, that he might be the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him Michal, his daughter to wife. And Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was yet more afraid of David. And Saul became David's enemy continually. Then the princes of the Philistines went forth, and it came to pass, after they went forth, that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was much sent by. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And may the Lord be pleased to bless that public reading of his holy, infallible, inerrant word. To the glory of his name and to the very needful good of our never-dying souls here today. Well, dear congregation, I now invite you to turn your prayerful attention to the words that I read to you in your hearing. They're in 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. Last time, remember in the 17th chapter, when David slays Goliath, the giant Gittite, that colossus of a man who was over six cubits and a span tall, that left King Saul rather worriedly wondering who David was. For remember, Samuel said to Saul that another would take his place. Look at the verse 55. And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said unto Abner, the captain of the host, Abner, Whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. And the king said, Inquire thou whose son this stripling is. So he was concerned. And if you notice in verse 8 of this chapter, chapter 18, we read, this is after now Saul has become suspicious about David becoming king because the the woman is singing the praises of David, not of Saul. Now David has slain his ten thousand and Saul only his thousands. And we read, and Saul was very wroth 
And the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. Now notice these words. And what can he have more but the kingdom? So he's wondering now, because remember Samuel has said to him that the kingdom has been rent from himself, from Saul. And perhaps he's wondering now, he's beginning to have suspicions, could it be David? Because David is becoming very well known and appreciated by the people. Now, let us just recall in our minds, remember now David has already become Saul's soother, should we say. Whenever Saul was distressed by this evil spirit, he soothed him by playing the harp. He was his karma, as it were as well as the very fact that he became his armor-bearer. So not only his soother and his karma, but his armor-bearer. Well, those gifts the Lord had given him and was preparing David with are now being put to use. Notice the verse 23 of the chapter 16. And it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took an harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. So he played the harp, and then in the last chapter, chapter 17, remember, as a youth, he was able to not only fend off the lion and the bear with his hands, but he also obviously learned to use the sling. Now, David, although he had these talents and these gifts, the gifts of playing the harp, the gift of music, and the ability to soothe Saul, and the gift of the sling, being able to sling accurately, these are all of the Lord. But especially, David was gifted, was he not, with the Holy Spirit. David was born again. David was a regenerate man. He had the Spirit of God. He says elsewhere in the Psalms, remove not my spirit from me. That is when he sinned, remember, against Uriah the Hittite took his wife, committed adultery, and then slayed uh, Uriah. Well, David is a saved man, born again, regenerate, unlike Saul. And as we shall see in many ways, he's not only born again, but he has, as he is, one who has the Spirit of Christ. And of course, the Spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit, Romans 8 verse 9. He is also Christ-like. He not only is Christ-like, but he foreshadows the Lord Jesus Christ. He is typely in that sense, in terms of his kingmanship, his kingsmanship, as we will see here. And he is Christ-like in many ways. And so is the Christian. The Christian truly is both a priest and a king forever, because that's what we read in the book of the Revelation. Christians are to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. We are told in Revelation, God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, has made us priests and kings forever, in that we shall rule with him one day forever in the new heavens and the new earth. And sin is no longer to have dominion over us here while we're here upon this earth, but we are also priests offering up ourselves now as living sacrifices, not offering up lambs or anything like that, but we are to offer up ourselves. Now, David here foreshadows the Lord Jesus Christ in terms of the marks of the kingship of Christ. 
And we'll think about that this morning. We see David here is Christ-like in that particular way. Now, David certainly has his flaws. He's a sinful man, as we are. And yet, he's a redeemed man. We began to see this, really, in terms of his kingship, in the way in which he defeated Goliath. And we shouldn't really say it was David that defeated Goliath and the Philistines, but it was the Lord. In that way, he is spiritual. And in that way, he is Christ-like. And in that way, that's how we are to be. Remember how David saw that battle against the Philistines and against Goliath as a spiritual battle, not so much a physical battle. That was the great lesson, was it not, in the chapter 17. It was a spiritual battle. When the people saw the Philistines, and especially when they saw Goliath, they looked at the battle merely in terms of the physical realm, that they were not able to achieve this, that they were not able to defeat Goliath. Remember how Goliath went out for 40 days and challenged the people to send somebody out, a champion. Of course, he is called the champion of the Philistines, but nobody came forth except David because he saw the battle as being the Lord's. I just hearken you back to the verse 37 of chapter 17. Look with me. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he, that is the Lord, will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. So that's how David saw it. That's how we must view David. David was a spiritual man. Don't take any pride, for goodness sake, in David. Let us not lift David up, but let us take example of David's faith as a born-again man in the Lord. David saw that his strength was in the Lord. Again, look at the verse 47. This is how the nation Israel should have been thinking at this moment in time. Very few had real faith. Very few were born again. Verse 47, and this is what David says to the people, And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth, not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So that's how David saw, how he addressed the Philistines. And that was his witness, wasn't it? Now we saw last time that David is an example to believers. And really of the Christ that was yet to come. Just a a type of foreshadowing of the Christ. David's greater son would eventually come into this world. Now, David is the anointed king. He's not king yet. Saul is king, and he has his arousing suspicions that it could be David. Now, what we see in the chapter 18 are the first reactions to David, and there are three, really as we'll see in this passage, there are three reactions to David's, we could say, success. But it's really not David's success. It is the Lord who is establishing David as king. And there are three reactions. And these really resemble people today. The first 
is a superficial reaction and praise to David. And here we're thinking in terms of the woman, the praises of the woman, because they give praise to David, not to God. They ascribe glory to David, not to God. And there are many who are man-centered. And these we would call pseudo-Christians. And I'm afraid that the church is full of these people. They are not real Christians. Their hope is in men. Their confidence is in man. And they judge a church and they judge a people by how many people are sitting in the pews. There are people like that. The churches are full of people like that, who judge that way, superficial. And then there's hatred, outright hatred, and that's all. It's typical of today. There are those that hate, but there are pseudo-Christians, and they're not real Christians. They fake Christians. They, they have confidence in man. They look at numbers. They look at the church. They see there's very few, and they say God is against us. But that's not true. And then there's love. There's the true Christian. And that we will see in Jonathan. Jonathan has a love for David. A true love. We read here that his heart was knit to David from that day onward. Because he saw something in David that was Christ-like. And that's what every true Christian should see in another Christian. Something that is Christ-like. It is that... Christ's likeness that knits us together as God's people. We are bound together in the cords of the love of God by his spirit in us. And we love the brethren. John says we know that we have passed from death unto life because we what? We love the brethren. People who don't like to spend time with other Christians are not Christians. You can be sure of it. They love the company of the world more than God's people. Now, this morning, as we think about David, this man after God's own heart, as I said, he's in measure like Christ, not in the fullness, but we see something here. And there are messianic parallels running through this passage, as is in all the Psalms. All the Psalms we know are messianic. You know, if you just turn to the Psalm 40, the Psalm 40 is... is speaks of Christ, but these are things that David even felt in his own heart. In the verse 6 we read, Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire, mine ears thou hast opened, burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. And we know these words, by the way, are quoted in Hebrews chapter 10. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me, I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. That was true of David in a measure, but perfectly in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one that truly, in, in, in the deepest and most profound sense, could say that I delight to do thy will. I was saying just the other week that the Lord Jesus Christ simply not only came into the world to live for his people and to die for them. But he actually loved obeying the Father as he came. As he came, he did it with supreme delight. He didn't come thinking, oh, I've got to, I've got to 
I've got to perform the will of God. He delighted truly in the most profound sense in the law of God and delighted to magnify the Father's name. And David is very much Christ-like in that sense, to do the Father's will, not his own will. That's the mark of Saul, wasn't it? Remember how we saw Saul. Saul wanted all the praise from the people. He wanted to win the wars. Remember the time the Lord said that he was to slay the Amalekites, and he didn't do it, but he was prepared in his wild, mad rampage to kill all the enemies, the other enemies in Canaan. But but he didn't do when the Lord said, kill the Amalekites and slay them all, and don't spare Agag, and he did. He spared Agag for his own glory. Remember, Saul was not a man after God's own heart, but David was. And... uh, What we see in this passage, David is a great contrast over and against Saul, who, by the way, remember Saul was the nation's expectation of what a king should be. We want a king like the rest of the nations. A handsome man, a tall man. But in his heart, we have begun to see all the cracks showing, haven't we? We've begun to see that here is a man, increasingly, who is not the Lord's. A man who is completely unregenerate. And you know, sometimes, friends, it it eventually shows that some people who we thought were saved were never saved at all. It's easy to have religion. And Saul was a man who, who showed himself to have religion and appeared to pay lip service to the Lord, but he didn't. Now, in the same way, when the Lord came to his people, remember how they expected the Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver Israel from Roman occupation. Remember when he fed the 5,000? <laughs> what did they want to do? They wanted to make him king. When the true son of David, David's greatest son, came into this world, he came to his own and his own received him not. And they wanted to make him king. They didn't esteem him for what he was. And that's true, certainly here about David. Now, firstly, David loved my son. And we see that particularly here in Jonathan. Notice with me, David appreciated and loved by Jonathan. Now, the context here of chapter 18 is the last verse of chapter 17, which we shall read now This is after he slew Goliath, and he's holding Goliath's head in his hand. And uh, David's words of humility, this is astounding. Think of it. He's holding Goliath's head in his hand, and yet he speaks in humility. He could have said, I slayed Goliath. Look what I've got. Look what I've done. That's not the way David speaks. What does he say? Saul inquires after him. Saul sends for him. And Saul said to him, verse 58, Whose son art thou, thou young man? And David answered, I am the son of thy servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. Very humble words, aren't they? You know, I am just the son of one of your servants. I'm a nothing. I'm a nobody. Think of it, when the Lord of glory came into this world, He was the carpenter's son, wasn't he? 
lived in relative obscurity for 30 years. Never did he vaunt himself. The king of glory, the creator of all the universe, working in a carpenter's shop, fashioning wood, and yet he, he made the trees, he made the heavens, made the earth, never took glory to himself, humbled himself, became a servant even unto death. Think of the glory of our Savior. As Isaiah says, the Lord speaking through the prophet, he was as a quiver, as an arrow in the quiver of the Lord. And the Lord brought out his shaft in due time, hidden in his hand. Now, the context is just that, after he has slain Goliath. And there's something admirable, by the way, that David speaks, that simply grips Jonathan's soul. Notice in the verse 1 of chapter 18, this is how chapter 18 begins, and it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. There was something about the words of David that just ravished Jonathan's heart. He was taken up with this man who was so humble and yet who gave glory to God. He loved him as his own soul. So when Jonathan heard David speak, he realized that there was a man after God's own heart. He loved him because he, he had that spirit that he so desired in himself. And that's what I said. We know that we've passed from death to life if we love the brethren, if we see something of Christ in them. And that is really what knit Jonathan's heart to David. He saw something Christ-like in David. Now I ask you that question. What do others see in you? You profess to be a Christian. Do people see a Christ-like spirit in you, in me? That ought to be the case. If we say that we're Christ's. We were thinking with the children this morning in the Sabbath school how not to profane the name of the Lord. God's name is his character. And if we claim to be Christians, we ought to be Christ-like. You can profane his name, as we even thought there in Romans 2, how the Jews because they were breakers of the law, profaned the name of the Lord. God's name was being blasphemed because they were not keeping God's commandment. You can profane God's name. You don't literally have to use his name simply to profane his name or to use it vainly, but you can profane God's name by not being Christ-like. Think of the disrepute and the shame that so many bring to the name of the church and to the name of Christ. Today, so many do. But here is one whose heart was for the things of God. You remember what David said when he saw this battle and he saw this great colossus of a man, Goliath the Gittite. Is there not a cause? Can you not see his heart? Is there not a cause? He Remember, he's addressing his oldest brother. And his oldest brother says, oh yeah, I know what your heart's all about. I know the naughtiness of thy heart. 
And now you've just come out here to see the battle? David said, no, no. Is there not a cause? The Lord's cause. David was concerned for the glory of God. And every Christian is. Everyone who is a Christian is concerned for the glory of God. As I said, John 3.14, we know that we have passed from life, from death unto life because we love the brethren. If you see something lovely in a believer and you want that and you desire that and that moves your heart to love them, it's a sign that you are born again. Now this love continued, friends, this love of Jonathan toward David despite the fact that Jonathan knew that he would not be a successor to the throne. Jonathan knew this increasingly. He knew that his father would not continue. That's already been said. And Jonathan now loves David as his own soul, despite him knowing that he would not have that position. You see, he is decreasing, isn't he? Jonathan is... Think of the words of John the Baptist. He must increase. I must decrease. That's what you see here in Jonathan. Jonathan's not thinking about his future. Jonathan loved what David was like. Of course, David was not perfect. But he loved what David stood for. And you should love, if you're a Christian, you should love those who stand for the truth. But sadly, today, you know, friends, so many people that go to church are just looking at the church as some club, you know, where you get a little bit of friendship and uh, that sort of thing. But you've got no burden for the truth, no burden for the glory of God's name. The church is not a club where you meet friends and people and everybody's somehow happy. The church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. And that is what unites and knits our hearts together. That's what we should be concerned about. It's not about loyalty to people. It's about loyalty to the Lord. Oh, I really want to drive that point home. It's a point I think we need to really think about in our day and age. Now, you notice he makes a brotherly covenant with David. Notice verse 3 and 5, through to 5. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments even to his sword and his bow and to his girdle. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war And he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now this oath, this covenant, should I say, is really simply paying homage to David and saying that he loved him and that he had committed to him and is acknowledging also perhaps some of the commentators, they suggest that he is acknowledging that he is the Lord's anointed. He's he's made a covenant with him to stand with him, to stand by him, because he loves him, even as his own soul, because he he saw something of the kindred spirit, that of the Spirit of God in him. He saw in David a different spirit. 
David was a man committed to the cause of God. John Calvin said this, nothing that is in opposition to God can ever be successful. Think of that. Nothing that is in opposition to God can ever be successful. And Jonathan knew that. Wasn't Jonathan a man of faith? Remember how Jonathan said, we're able to overcome by many or by few. It is of the Lord. And that is exactly how those of faith think. They don't look at numbers. They're not interested in how many, of course, we'd love to see many people saved. We'd love to see all these seats filled. But we are concerned about God receiving the glory, and we believe absolutely that anybody that stands in opposition to God, as Calvin says, can never be successful. Hear what I'm saying? This is, the, this is the confidence all of us have who truly believe the Bible and who hold tenaciously to the truth of the Bible that nothing will succeed that is in opposition to God. If a so-called truth, which is not a truth, is in opposition to who and what God says about himself, that will not succeed. That cause, that doctrine, whatever it is, it will not be It will not be successful. It will be exposed for the folly that it is. Always. Error will always be exposed. Truth will always be revealed by the Word of God. How many times we've seen this? Goliath defied the armies of the living God. And the truth was known that day that there is a God in heaven. And God defeated Goliath, not David. And that is what Jonathan loved. Now, Jonathan followed David at the expense of his father's displeasure of him. (laughs) This was increasingly so. At the expense of his father's displeasure. Think of the words there at... Matthew 10, verse 37, where the Lord Jesus said, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And if we're Christ-like, we will follow Christ and we will follow his people who are like him at the expense of mother, father, friends, everybody. You know, there are some, sadly, who will follow the family in churches. Wherever the family goes, they go. Not what the Lord says. Not Jonathan. Jonathan followed David at the expense of his father's displeasure. Increasing And think more of our Lord Jesus, as he said, you know, if any man will follow me, he must deny himself. And he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Friends, are we prepared to forsake all for Christ? The truth is there not a cause. There is a cause, isn't there? Jonathan, you see, was drawn to David, who was Christ's representative here in type form. 
And he put his attachment to David above that even to his own father. And that is true of every true child of God, every Christian. We show allegiance to Christ. Jonathan is drawn to a brother here in Christ. That's really what we're seeing, as all the godly are. Are you drawn to God's people? That's the question today. That's how we see Jonathan here, drawn to one who is Christ-like. John writes, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. We have fellowship, true fellowship. I want to ask you that question. It's one of the signs of somebody that is born again. They want to spend time with God's people. Now, secondly, pseudo-believers. We've seen the true believer. Pseudo-believers, a false appreciation of David. And we see it here in the woman. They sent out, and David went out with us, whoever Saul sent him, and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, as he was accepted in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And it came to pass, as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the woman came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing, to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. And the woman answered one another as they played, and said, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Now when the woman sang here, it was not to the honor and glory of God. They sang, but not with honor to God. It was honor to David. This is wrong. I mean, David's even said it. The victory was the Lord's, not David's. And what we have here is a false appreciation of the Lord, of David. They admire him so long as he has slain the enemies. But it wasn't really David, was it? Now think of it, when the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world, every time, when he fed the 5,000, it's interesting, read through the miracles, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. Although he was God, remember he said, the work that I've been doing, the Father's been doing. The Son always gave glory to the Father. But the people here on earth... The Jews in our Lord's day always wanted to make him a king, always wanted to exalt man. And they, they refused to hear what he had to say, that he was sent from God, the Son of God. They wanted to give glory to man. And that's what the women are doing here. David is great. And this, of course, just stirred up more jealousy in Saul, didn't it? Awful. Now you notice that these words here that they sing are actually words from Psalm 91. And uh, we know Psalm 90, if you just turn there to Psalm 91, Psalm 90 and Psalm 91, we know Psalm 90 is the oldest psalm written by Moses and Psalm 91 would follow that. And these are psalms commemorating the Exodus. And uh, what we see here is how glory is given to God. But what they do is they twist the words of 
these psalms. Psalm 91 verse 5, Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. So, really, these, this is an allusion to that psalm where glory is given to God. But here they're giving glory to David, not to the Lord. And this is a pseudo, we could say, Christianity. The woman here took the words of Psalm 91, verse 7, and applied them to David as a mere man, and not giving glory to God. And this is true, if people can't be great, and we're thinking of the Israelites, the Jewish people, what people do is they love to bask in their heroes. Don't we see that today? People love a hero, don't they? But they will not have God to have the glory. Of course, the honor and the glory is to God alone. Do you see that? Oh, people want to make a hero out of a church. People want a hero out of a pastor. But not to God. This is pseudo-religion. Praise to a man. Of course, this just made Saul, as we have already said, more wrathful. In verse 8, and Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. Well, it would have. But you see, if Saul was a, was a believer, he truly would have taken David's own words and said, no, this was of the Lord. But no, not so. As I said, it was true of the people when he fed the 5,000. They wanted to make him king. Of course, he was God, but they weren't recognizing him as God. You see the point. It's a simple point, but it is a profound point that needs to be made today. And as I said, whenever he, he did a miracle, he gave thanks. In John five seventeen, we read, remember after he healed a man that had been lame for 38 years at the pool of Bethesda? It says, but when Jesus answered them, he said, my father worketh hitherto, and I work. Even our Lord Jesus Christ, who is very God, always gave glory to the Father. Always. And in humility he spoke. And this, though being very God, he considered it not robbery to be equal with God, as Paul reminds us in Philippians. Philippians 2, 5, he said, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. And David has that same servant-like attitude here. I hope we see that. And that is a, is a wonderful, admirable, and beautiful quality when we see it in others who give glory to God. When, when they do do good, how much more we, if Christ, who being very God, humbled himself, became a servant, and who is altogether glorious. Now, here they acclaim David, the woman, but it was 
as a man, not as a spiritual man, as a man who God helped. They acclaimed him for his apparent power, but of course David had no power at all. And that's the lesson, isn't it? Well, in the same way with our Lord, when he came into this world, he had power in the physical realm, and so long as he was able to do things, they acclaimed him. But the very Son of God, who came with untainted and unsullied pureness in this world, there was a mere superficial admiration of him, wasn't there? Think of the woman in the crowd that said, Blessed be the wombs that bear thee and the paps that gave thee suck. He said, Nay, yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God. Hears the word of God and keep it. They never received him spiritually. And when the Pharisees heard him, and they saw all of his mighty works, what did they want to do? They wanted to put him to death. And that leads us now to the hatred of Saul, verse 8, the third kind of reaction to David. And Saul was ver- wrath, very wroth, saying, and the same displeased him, and they have ascribed unto David ten thousands and so on, but only to him a thousand. And we read there in the verse 9 that Saul eyed him, that he kept his eye on him from that day forward. He knew something almighty was going on. He feared. And the more David seems to exhibit God's blessing and God's presence, the more he becomes afraid. We've read it. If you read this passage, at least three times here Saul is afraid. And yet Saul never repents. And this is a mark, truly, of those who pseudo-Christianity. They, they, they see God's people are favored. They fear, but they never repent. It shows the total depravity of the human heart. We read from Mark 3 concerning our Lord Jesus. And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. They saw the power of God in our Lord Jesus, but they dogged his steps from that day forward. And so it was here with David. You see, David is entering into the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ in some way, typifying what our Lord Jesus Christ would experience when he came into this world. Now Saul is watching him here to destroy him. And he, he puts him in certain places. Notice in the verse 10, there's this evil spirit that is sent forth in the, from the underworld in the place of darkness. God, with all of his workings, of course he's not the author of sin, but he can simply release something, that which is evil, remove some restraining power, and therefore an evil spirit, we notice verse 10, and it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul. The Lord released, we know that at least a third of the angels have fallen from the book of Jude. 
and they are reserved in a place of darkness ever since the fall. And uh, it says here, Saul prophesied, that is not, of course, by the Spirit of God, but the word prophesy can mean preach or declare. Of course, this evil spirit is upon him. He can't speak anything for good. And we, we notice here, David, again, plays that with his hand, as at other times, and that is, he calmed his spirit. But yet it seems that the power is so great, and that Saul takes this javelin in his hand, and he casts it at least twice, and David expect, uh, escapes out of his presence at least twice, the verse 11. So this evil spirit is working within Saul, as it was with Judas. Remember how the Spirit entered into Judas, how we're told there. And uh, verse 3 of Luke 22, Then Satan entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being the number of the twelve, and he went his way, communed with the chief priests and captains, how he might betray him unto them, and so on. We see a parallel there. We see the Spirit at work. And this was throughout our Lord's ministry. But here, Saul is very cunningly and quietly working, plotting, plotting, as to how he now may slay David, and how true that is of the Lord. Now notice verse 12. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. He knew it. He knew that the Lord was with him, and yet he, he, he doesn't repent. And was departed from Saul. Now notice, therefore, Saul removed him from him, and as he sent him away, and he made him captain over a thousand, and he went, he thought, well, this will do the, the trick. And we read, while he sent him away, verse 14, David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Isn't that interesting? Saul thinks he can remove the problem by removing David. But the Lord just continues to bless David as time goes on. So afraid he was, but he didn't repent. And he still fights against David. Again, as John Calvin said, nothing that is in opposition to God can ever be successful. And certainly Saul is in opposition to him, and Saul can't be successful here at this. Now you notice, he puts David in the field, thinking that he can silence him. Verse 13 to 16, Therefore Saul removed from him, and made him captain over a thousand, went out and came in before the people. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. That is, he was answerable to them. He was a humble man. You know, he, he didn't lord it over the people. And that's how the Lord is with us. Now, what Saul does is he uses two of his own daughters to try to snare. He uses even his own flesh and blood to try to snare David. The first here, notice in the verse 16 and 17, this first daughter, Merab, by the way, Remember in chapter 17, whoever slew Goliath, Saul said he'd give his daughter. And the man wouldn't have to pay any more taxes. And he would make him wealthy. 
But he hasn't honored that, and he doesn't honor that here with his first daughter, Merah, but gives her to another man. He says in verse 17, I will give her, will I give thee to wife? Only be thou valiant for me, and the fight is the Lord's battle. Spiritual language, isn't it, from Saul, but it's not true. For Saul, let not my hand be upon him, but let the hand of the Philistines be upon him. And David said unto Saul, Who am I? And what is my life? This is humility coming from David. There's no pride here. He says, Who am I to take the king's daughter? Just total humility with him. Now, in his wrath, he doesn't fulfill this promise. Verse 19, and it came to pass at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given to Adriel, the Mahalitha, to wife. So this is awful. And by the way, the sons of that marriage to Adriel here were hanged in connection with the death of the massacre of the Gibeonites later on, as we'll read. Now, there's another daughter here, Mikhail, uh, who loves David. And that pleases Saul because, A, he hasn't fulfilled his promise to David, and B, here, he's working out a scheme how he may kill David. He says, okay, I see that she loves, he loves my daughter, Mikhail, and she loves him. So he sends, Saul sends his men out to David and says, tell you what, you can have her if you kill a hundred Philistines and take their foreskins and bring them to the king. David agrees to this. It pleased David. David doesn't kill a hundred, but he kills two hundred Philistines. You read that? Two hundred Philistines. Two hundred foreskins above and beyond. And this just infuriates him. Saul's schemes that he thinks David is going to be destroyed by these Philistines. He's working out a plan. But you see, God is with David all the while. All the while. Prospering him. Now you'll hardly think, as we seek to draw things to a conclusion here this morning, that this Saul is the same man we met much earlier. You'd hardly think it, were you? Some sinners are very blatant. Some are very subtle. As I always say to everybody, time will tell. Therefore, you watch your own soul. I must watch my own soul. Who do we want to be glorified in the church? It ought to be Jesus Christ. We ought to have the same spirit as Jonathan, as he had for David, and David had for the Lord. Friends, that's the true spirit of the child of God. We must decrease. Christ must increase. Shouldn't it be the case? Now you look at the verse 28 to 30, Saul's pride continues, and there's no submission to the Lord. Verse 28, and Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. 
And Saul was yet more afraid of David. And Saul became David's enemy continually. It only increased. Then the princes of the Philistines went forth, and it came to pass after they went forth that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was much sent by. He grew in favor and stature with men. Can that not be said true of our Lord Jesus Christ? But what about Saul? Shame kept coming to his name. We read in the close of the book of Daniel concerning them that that are not the Lord's and concerning them that are. Daniel 12, 2. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those people that glory in God now shall never be ashamed. But those that people that glory in man will be. Let me ask you the question, when you come here on the Lord's Day, what is your great desire? Is your great desire to see many people or to see the Lord? That's the question I'm asking and I'm putting to you. If those people you desire depart from the Lord and the Lord's ways, it shouldn't matter who's here. What should matter is we would see Jesus. We would see the Lord. We would see the Lord glorified and honored here. We would see man abased. We would see Jesus Christ lifted up, who is very God and yet became man. The point is this, what think ye of Christ? What do you think about righteousness? What do you think about holiness? Jonathan had a high esteem of David because he had a high esteem of holiness. Let me just tell you something. Being a Christian is not simply being saved from the wrath to come, but being saved to a life of holiness. Faith is not an act of something we just do once. Faith is not simply believing and then I'm saved and then I can forget about. Faith is something that goes on throughout the life, no matter what the circumstance. That's true faith. The person that says, yeah, I have faith, I confessed, I believed, and that lives like a rebel and does not have a high esteem for Christ, you can be assured of it, that person's lost. Lost. And who is not concerned for the truth. Paul says this, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. He says, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. You hear that? Three marks of a believer. Three marks of a true believer. You worship God in the Spirit. That's with a renewed heart, born again. You cannot worship God aright unless you're born again. You worship Him in the Spirit, the Spirit who gives light, the Spirit who has given us His Word, We rejoice in Christ Jesus. There's our glory. 
And we have no confidence in the flesh. We do not glory in man. My friend, people will disappoint you. I've been in this church. It's the only church I've ever been in as a Christian. People have disappointed me. But the Lord has never disappointed me. I've disappointed myself many times, every day. But the Lord has never disappointed me. Who do you glory in? Do you delight when you see Christ-likeness in others? That is what we should be about. When we see sin in others, what do we do? Do we gossip? No. We pray for them. We seek to do them good. And we seek to honor them by loving them as Christ loved us and giving himself for us. Oh, friend, let us love Christ as Jonathan loved David. Let us love the Lord Jesus. Paul said, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Maranatha. You've got to love Christ more than me, more than anybody else here, friend. Put him first. Love him supremely with all your heart. He is altogether lovely. David loved Jonathan, but Jonathan loved David. May we love one another, seeing that Christ-likeness in each other for the glory of Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Amen.